Hey, Trip. Do you know how to spell sommelier? Uh, sommelier. Um, what's the country of origin? Country of origin is France. France. Uh, can you use it in a sentence? Our guest today on the podcast is a sommelier. Okay. Sommelier. S-O-M-M-A-L-I-A. No! episode of the Birmingham Burnouts podcast. Um, Jesse's not with me today, but filling in, we have the amazing Emily Coley. Thanks for having me, Trip. It's always a pleasure to be here. Always great to have someone who doesn't constantly interrupt me, which is real nice. What? <laughs> Don't start with me. We have an amazing guest, one of my best friends uh, from Birmingham, Matthew Couch. Thanks, Trip. Good to be here. Hey, glad to have you. Now, nice I th- to meet you. So I think we should tell the people how we know each other. Um, many years ago, not that many years ago, I'd say like, what, five? I worked at Brick and Tin, and it was, I was a bartender, and you were the bar manager, correct? That's correct. And we just struck up an amazing friendship. It was just two dudes behind the bar. Nothing weird about that. Just two dudes. <laughs> And we've just, you know. Which Brick and Tin location? Uh, we were in Mountain Brook. Nice. Important details. Uh, we, yeah, we helped get it going. And, um, yeah, I learned a lot from Couch about wine, about cocktails, you know, just service industry in general. And he has been a Birmingham staple for many years. Everyone, I feel like everyone knows you. Everyone but me until today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, that's nice, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, we not need to scream at as us. much. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, that was a good time there at Brickenton, which if, if anybody has, has never been, you got to go get a great sandwich, soup, maybe a glass of wine, cocktail. Their salads are food, lit. Loaf of bread. They do a great job. Oh, yeah, they have a great bakery. That's right. Is the one downtown still a thing? It is. Um, and my understanding was uh, Mauricio Papa Pietro. Mauricio right? Papa Pietro. Papa Pietro. I love the name Mauricio. Great, great guy. Um, he turned it to bowl, which I had, and it was delicious. But now it's back to Brickenton. That's what I hear. Okay. That the public That's really... Uh, Wanted that, and now that people are back at heading to the offices, um, that they wanted a sandwich place. Oh, yeah. When I worked downtown on 2nd Avenue, that would be one of the places I would go to the most. Um, it was so good. 
miss those days. Working yeah. in Irondale, there's not as good a assortment of lunch options. I uh, don't know what you're talking about. We <laughs> have a Taco Bell Crystal Jack, Burger. Speed Milo's. <laughs> King Buffet, I saw on the way in today. A few people have actually brought up King Buffet to me <laughs> at work, so maybe I should give it a try. If you do, I'll go with it. It sounds option. risky, but their sign looks good. Yeah, the sign does look good. Like, signs I give thought, me a lot of trust. I thought buffets were going to be canceled after COVID. I thought that was just going to be like a collectively, like, let's just not do buffets anymore. Well, but if you're still doing buffets, <laughs> I think that COVID may be the least of your worries. That is very true. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more ways you could die from a buffet besides getting COVID. So I've be been warned. kicked out of a, of a buffet before. Was it because you took too many crab legs? No, it was at CC's Pizza in college. <laughs> and in I college. took Yeah, I took a gallon. Well, it was like the cafeteria was closed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So the lacrosse team went to a CC's. And we, I took a like gallon size Ziploc bag and was putting pizza in it. And they said I couldn't do that and I couldn't come back to that location ever again. <laughs> banned from so you're banned. one CC's. Banned from Not one all. CC's. And I think that CC's isn't there anymore. So you're good. Who had the last laugh now? Because I'm still here. <laughs> That's right. Sounds like you. This cancel culture with CC's is just getting out of control. I know. So, Couch, kind of tell us about your background, you know, growing up in Birmingham, what got you interested in wine, and yeah. Then I'll interrogate you. Right. Well, um, really, you can just talk about our relationship for as long as you want, because that's pretty great, too. Well, I'll start at the beginning, because, you know, um, I guess it's been somewhat of a lifelong Exposure to wine. My father was in the business in the 80s and 90s in the wholesale capacity. And he used to ask me to, hey, will you taste this wine? And I'd be, you know, maybe six, seven years old. I'd say, Dad, I don't like, I don't like wine. He said, well, just, just taste it once and tell me what it makes you think about. And so it wasn't until my early 20s that I realized that I was interested in wine, but I realized that simply my father um, asking me to think about wine and the way it tastes and what it made me think about was getting certain synapses to fire. Because a, a kid will say things with no frame of reference, like it, it reminds me of the creek or it reminds me of your closet, um, which really could be wine descriptors, yeah. you know, like a rocky minerality maybe in the creek or leather Noble rot. in a wine. Um <laughs> And so perhaps he was probing my virgin palate for tasting notes, or perhaps more nobly, he was trying to develop my brain for it, uh, which one way or another he did. And uh, coming up as a busboy early in the fine dining business when I was 21, 22, um, in a place that, uh, that sold a lot of wine, we tasted it a lot. And so I was exposed to it. And I had a great mentor in that place, a local uh, fine dining legend, John Rizeki, who noticed that and would get me a little bit more involved, even if I wasn't realizing I was into it. He was kind of showing me 
that I was into it. And it's so fabulous. I just kind of was able to go from busser to sommelier through my decade at that um, in, in various places and um, just kind of go from there. And Birmingham is just a lovely, has a lovely wine scene really mm-hmm. and has a long standing um, lineage of wine, winos and people who enjoy it. I'm sure the your job and since the wine culture has changed so much just in the United States in the last, I don't know, I mean, it's always been changing, but I know a lot more wines that aren't just from France and Italy have started being imported more because the cost is so much less because of all those land taxes that I know personally, like I've been exposed to, you know, all sorts of like more Eastern wines, like from Slovenia or Croatia and, you know, Austrian and German wines are like getting way more on the scene. And I feel like for a while it's just California, France and Italy and then some South Americans. So, I mean, I bet this has just been like growing and changing like so much throughout your career. But curious, did you get exposure to some of the less lesser known region wines when you were younger or have you seen it like growing more recently? Oh, definitely recently. I mean, there's even certain places in the country that in a way are wine deserts where they're only exposed to big brands Mm -hmm. from the grocery store. And even to a degree... Although California, Oregon, and Washington make really great wines, uh, people who live in those areas just don't drink a lot of old world wines. And, yeah. Um, the traditions and the wine growing practices in the old world, sometimes at an advantage, sometimes at a disadvantage, you know, as a lot of traditions can be. Um, it's just to me more interesting. They've defined their style, they have, it's, it's an identity more. Um, Absolutely. Whereas in the U.S., there's a lot more innovation, um, and the laws are a lot looser mm-hmm. on what you can do with what grapes. So there's, you know, two spirits there that can exist in any particular place at any time, but that's kind of the general thing. But as far as the new regions that are coming into the market, they're, they're calling it the Slow Crow movement, the Slovenian-Croatian mm-hmm. wines. Oh, really? So good. In particular, I mean, that's Orange kind of a true... Yeah example of pure innovation in a way because they've been behind the iron curtain mm-hmm. right until the early 90s and so artisanal winemaking may have lost its fervor when you had to sell your grapes to the state and so yeah. today the people that are making wines they're younger um, you know not afraid to try new things and they don't have the centuries and thousands of years of tradition they do but it was lost for a few generations there it's yeah. funny you mentioned Croatia because so I, I was there um, about two years ago now, three years ago, and while I was there and eating, it didn't seem there wasn't like a local Croatian dish. They didn't everything they had to eat. I could find pretty much anywhere else in the world. Not that Balkan cheese, though. <sighs> Not the Balkan cheese. But <laughs> when I got back to the states, I asked my friend who's parents are from croatia um i was like what is y'all's like dish you're known for like what are y'all known for and they were like we don't really have anything yet because the country is like so so new Mm -hmm. there's nothing really that they're known for that they you know are proud of that they want to you know share with the world um and i 
from what you've said, it seems kind of that way with wine too, is that they're still young. They're still trying to find that uh, their identity. I will say when I went in 2014 or I think it was about then, I remember asking like on a wine, like asking for a wine list in certain restaurants and they were like, oh, well, you know, here's our wine list, but you need to try this wine from, you know, like 30 miles from here. It's great. Yeah. And they were definitely trying to, you know, pose more to, you know, exposing us to those wines. And, you know, that wasn't everywhere, but, you know, you'd go to some like little local places like on your way for instance, we like drove to Montenegro, which is, you know, a few hours away and, you know, stopped at tiny little places for lunch and dinner. And, you know, they only had like one or two house, like they'd have like two wines there and they were always, you know, tiny, whatever local things they could get. They weren't, you know, importing the same way. So like you said, I, you know, I didn't really think about you the whole, you know, being, you know, behind the Iron Curtain for so long, how that could affect it. But they definitely didn't have, like, the same romance to wine that the French and the Italians have. Um, But still, like, great stuff. And when I was taking a class at Auburn in beverage studies, they were trying to get us to experience more of those Slovenian and Croatian wines. And just to even go on another tangent, my sister's been living in Slovenia until very recently. She moved back to Prague, and I was asking her about orange wine because I had read that that was the origin of it. And she, you know, asked lots of locals about it, none who were in the wine area. And they just, most of the people there had very little knowledge about the winemaking going on in their own country recently and, you know, would, like, argue with her that, you know, orange wine's not a thing or they don't make wine here and you know, took her an hour to get to a vineyard. And she was like, I told you so to all the locals. And I think it's really interesting, like, to not even know, you know, that practice is so lost on the people there now. Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. You know, the traditions that are formed when it comes to food and wine, um... The traditions that are formed when it comes to food and wine can seem to have so much to do with the, you know, the world events and politics and everything like that. Um, so for certain people in the country to not have no idea what the winemakers are doing uh, or what their tradition is, like you're saying, orange wine has more of an identity in that part of the world than it does in others. Um, just goes to show you that it just wasn't celebrated, emphasized, you know, during the communist years, I suppose. But I mean, you know, we live in the South and we, although it's a terrible area to grow Vitis vinifera, which is the species of grape that all of uh, the wines that we know well are from, we have a rich, you know, melange of food styles that are from West Africa, um, you know, the Southern United States and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so we sometimes might not know where certain things came from. It's just so ingrained. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason, like, Old World Wines, I mean, just by the label, some people might not know this, but New World Wines are labeled by the grape. And then, you know, they might say, like, Baden, Russian River Valley, or at this... um, 
vineyard, but in Old World wines, they're labeled by the region slash the vineyard. So you might be drinking Chardonnay, but it's called, you know, Puyé Fuisse or... Um, and in California, it's just, you know, California Chardonnay. Or, and so I think that sense of identity is so tied in with, because every region has different standards. I think that really, you know, creates way more a sense of place with wine. And with us, it's, you know, what's trending and, you know, what we can get a hold of here, yeah. especially in the last, you know. It's truly old world, world, new world yeah. sentiment. Um, tradition over innovation right uh place over manipulation you know um but the best winemakers in the world no matter where you are you know understand fully that it's a farm product first mm-hmm. and any wine that you drink you know for for all of you out there you know if 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 you make a million cases a year or more like some of these big places do the farmer is grown is no longer that important because you're putting together, it'd be like Starbucks buying beans from all these different places and all roasting it the same and mm-hmm. over roasting it so that it's consistent. Yeah. Um, the same thing would happen in wine, like you think Yellowtail in Australia, the biggest uh, you know wine brand in the world, has their own rail lines and they've got wow. you know grapes being shipped from over here and over here. And of course, they have standards for their farmers, but at the same time, where's the love in it? And <laughs> right. Um, and so the best wine should express where they were grown and the, what they call the terroir of everything around it, whether it's the soil, the air, um, the amount of sunshine they get, the, the aspect, the direction that the vineyard's facing. I mean, all this has an influence. And, yeah. um, and that's the real romantic side of wine that kind of keeps you with it because um, even though I've never been to Europe and I'm jealous of you for having gone when you read about a wine and you're tasting a wine, you become accustomed to styles mm-hmm. in a way you're going there because so these great winemakers are letting the, the place show off. And then you read, well, what do they eat over there? And then you're like, well, I want to try to cook that. Yeah. With goes this wine. together, grows together. And you experience it. Exactly. And it, um, can be that one plus one equals three experience where the wine's great, the food's great, but together mm-hmm. it's something greater than the sum of the parts. And so when you kind of experience these things and if you're a person that's into, you know, good music and stuff, it, it can just, you know, make the experience all the better and just create a lifelong love affair with, with, uh, with wine and good wine. Yeah. I love that. So before we get into like tape, because you brought some wines that we're going to taste podcast is going to get real fun, real fast. (laughs) What? what are some of the wines that you've had in your life that really stand out to you? Whether that be the tastes, the complexity of it, or like the story behind it or how it's made, you know, just big ones that you think, Oh my goodness, this is like, I'm going to remember this wine forever. Well, uh, I think there's uh, a couple things like that can influence Mm -hmm. why I would enjoy one. And I think about a time that I w- traveled to Belize when I was in, a late teen. You better it was, Belize it. It was, <laughs> it was hot Good as one. hell. And we stopped off at this store, and I got an ice-cold Fanta in a glass bottle. Yes. And I'd had a Fanta before, but there was something about the way that one tastes and where I was that I, I was like, I've never tasted anything better than this right now in this moment. 
And so sometimes it's about having a good time with friends and that makes a bigger impact on you. Um, yeah, I imagine you could have like the best wine on a terrible date and wind up hating it. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. But so that being said, it, it all comes down to the food that was served, the people that you were with. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but if I had to pick, you know, like a couple desert island regions that to me are just a little bit more interesting, I would say the Piedmont area of Italy, mm-hmm. where they make the great Nebbiolos. So good. Uh, Barolos, Barbarescos. Although they need a lot of time to age, sometimes these experiences can be, you know, really kind of cerebral and reminiscent of something. And and I think that's what wines kind of do when they're really great. They remind you of something and sometimes you can't put your finger on it. Maybe it's a a feeling or maybe it's something you smelled when you were a kid and you're having a good time. Yeah. um, But it's hard not to say champagne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... Because even the layman can appreciate that, a great champagne. But there's something about Austria and Germany yes. that really appeals to me. And, I, and they, they say that the more wine you drink, the more acid that you want. And so a lot of Psalms become these acid freaks that just want the tartar stuff. And some of that is because you've been tasting wine all day uh-huh. and you get a little palate fatigue and you need something that's got a little zip to kind of invigorate you again. Um, and something that you can actually taste after yeah. tasting 50 Cabernets or something like that. I love I wines from that region and like also like, you know, like the Alsatian region too. And one thing I've always learned that was cool about Germany is like the wine is usually a lot of vineyards are at very high altitudes, if I'm correct. Many of them. And it's like they have warm sun in the day and cool air at night which is like essential to the process. And I just, I love how like factor dependent it is. And, you know, you always hear like Riesling and I always thought Rieslings would have to be syrupy sweet. And there's like, you know, spot lease and like all these different, um, how do you say like gratings of how sweet they are and like goes to bone dry and they're just fabulous. Yeah. You know, leave it to the Germans to, have precision when it comes to making wine in a challenging region. You know, like Napa Valley is known to be one of the most plentiful places in the world where it's just easy to grow wine, and Germany is just not one of those places. So there's certain grapes that only do well there, Mm -hmm. and then it's always a struggle to ripen. So they'll plant their vineyards on southern slopes to face the sun, reflect off the Mosul River on slate soils that radiate the heat, back and everything is trying to achieve as much ripeness as possible because their climate um, doesn't lend itself to right if you tried to grow a cab there um, it would just never get ripe enough well yeah um, that you just like describing it how beautiful it is I'm just ready to dive into these okay so we've already cracked open one all right well let's uh, let's that's a secret. You Let's start with to say. another one. Give me a moment. So, the first one we had, though, that we cracked open, and I'll. We should uh, palate cleanse with this little uh, new thing and then go back on that one, don't you think? Yeah, I just want to. Okay, well, then I won't tell people. <laughs> well, ooh, that's what I'm talking about. Hey. <laughs> don't you I hate hope the when. the uh, picked up that pop. Don't you hate when people flick the cork? haphazardly at like your wall 
when they come to your house and open a bottle of champagne and just have no regard for human life. Is that a... You don't want to end up like a Chinese millionaire and get, get hit in the head with a, a champagne cork and die three days later. Is that oh, one ha- is did that happen? happen? Yeah. Here's uh, another one. Do you... I've always been told to hold the cork and twist the bottle. Is that... Is that proper champagne serving or opening etiquette? I mean, you get the feel for it, but that's a better idea than thumbing it out like a Formula One driver. Yeah. yeah. I had someone come to my house on New Year's to survive. one year, and they were opening champagne, and I'm sure it's someone who listens to this podcast. I'm not going to say their name. Say their name. That's fine. <laughs> John Sims. Uh, and I remember he just flicked it open, and it darted across the room and hit the wall, but like, between the borders of like four paintings right in the middle of the wall. So it didn't like hit a painting, but I was like, damn good shot. John Sims is on notice. All right. That was years ago. It's quite all right if you're celebrating, you know? Yeah. Just oh, be yeah. safe. Yeah. Safety I think it was, first. It was, first. It was New Year's Day, so it was like okay. hangover, Mimos- you know? Yeah. It was mimosas and greens and black eyed peas. What is your thought on mimosas? They're great. They're great. Okay. Just yeah. don't, Teaspoon don't use something juice. like super awesome in it. Right. Yeah. We're cooks. Yeah. Okay. Sounds I, good to me. Corbell's my... Uh, I mean, Corbell's you can go better than that. You can go better than that. Corbell's go my grocery okay. store mimosa wine. You can spend four, 12 to fourteen I'd be happy with that. Okay. That's fair. All right. All right. Cheers, All right. guys. Cheers to the first one. <laughs> so we're having a cava... From Penedes, Spain. This is north of Barcelona, so northeast Spain, closer mm. to the uh, the Pyrenees Mountains that separate France and Spain. Can you um, go into a little bit of detail about sparkling wine, champagne naming or nomenclature? Sure. So you know, it's become innocuous to say champagne for any kind of bubbly, which you know some wine snobs cringe at that, but if you've ever worked mm. in the retail world and somebody says, I want a $15 champagne, you know they're not talking about actual champagne. Doesn't That's exist. Fine. <laughs> and I'll show them the Proseccos and Cavas and everything else. But the Chepinois, they're called, have uh, been very protective of their, their, their terminology. And so when places used to call it method Chepinois, meaning made in the way of champagne, they can't even say that anymore. They have to say really? method traditional. So um, that is what's going on here. This Spanish wine is uh, made in the same way that a champagne would be made, meaning that there's two fermentations, and the second one happens in bottle, trapping the bubbles inside, which when the yeast (coughs) remains in contact inside the bottle, that's when you develop that wonderful mouthfeel, mm. you know. So this would be different than the Prosecco method, which is done in a large stainless steel tank mm-hmm. um, and dispensed off as they need it to sell to the market. Whereas oh, okay. this is much more expensive and uh, takes longer. And um, so that's kind of what differentiates, like, a finer bottle of sparkling right. versus an, a one that's less not, not that the Prosecco method is not great in its own way, but um, anyway, so what you have here is a, is a cava. And so this is kind of an emerging uh, region that is starting to take itself more seriously. 
Spain in general in the 80s went through a big scandal where they were putting uh, some chemicals in their wine to make them taste better and Mm. were kind of dangerous. And so there was... (laughs) A long period of time where people just didn't want to drink Spanish wine. And I had no idea about that. And so now they're really coming around to the point where people who make cava, which is what we're having, a sparkling wine from this uh, northeastern area of Spain, there's some people who take it really seriously, and then there's some cava makers who don't. And it's, it's starting to make the guys that are doing it really well mad to the point where that. they've taken it to the government and said, we need our own delineation our own standards and help us make it so that we can be a part of like making this better i mean part of it's marketing for the country but you know part of it is also making sure that you know what sites are the best for it and the methods that are the best for it but ultimately you should just enjoy it you know and you don't have to delicious one thing i love about champagne from what i've learned is you know people buy wines and think they can just stick them in their cellar and leave them for ages and come back and they'll be great and that's not true but champagne is or sparkling whites tend to be ones you can age a lot longer isn't that right um yeah champagne's gonna last a long time and that generally has to do with the acidity Mm -hmm. in the wine uh helping it to be a little more strong you know uh Sugars can be something that helps out. Like Rieslings Absolutely. can last a long time. Yeah, because it eats when it eats the sugar, it like yeah. kind of converts it to like more vinegary, right? But that's As how it, it works. ages. Um, so like a low sugar content wine tends to not age as well as a one higher in sugar because it becomes more vinegary tasting, correct? Or more just like skunky. You know, there's a lot of fuzzy science on what makes a wine age and what happens and so i wish i could speak a little bit more eloquently about it but um if you pay less than 20 dollars a bottle it's probably not intended to age yeah for oh absolutely obvious yeah right. but um you know sparkling has such a celebratory context to it you know um, yeah um i remember watching an episode of pawn stars and ooh, a guy brought in a great show uh, a guy brought in a bottle of, like, I want to say it was 1920s Dom Perignon. And the guys looked at it, and they were like, this is trash now. Because yeah. they never rotated it. They just stuck it away, and, and it just... Got to keep it on its side. Yeah, people. it was in a storage unit. In a storage unit, s- straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Not angled or anything. Yeah, you definitely have to be intentional about it. Right. You know, and if you're on the auction market trying to sell your grandfather's seller after he died they're gonna have some specific questions about how it was stored and yeah and if you can't support that then your wine really won't be worth that much right did you oh god i'll say my friend um they have like a at her grandparents house they have like a nice wine cellar kind of like you know truly a cellar under their basement she's like oh yeah let's like go grab a bottle of wine to drink out of there and there's a 15 year old bottle or 12 year old bottle of Menage a trois, just probably like a cab salve, but you know, like a $12 bottle of wine. And I was, you know, around all these, you know, small batches of, you know, fancy things. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure you could take that one, but it's going to taste like shit. And to be honest, it actually like was, I feel like the age might have taken out some of the horribleness. It wasn't that bad? I could drink it and I'm pretty well, fucking picky. <laughs> 
But yeah, no. Um, you don't need to age your menage a trois. Did you? That you bought um, at a gas station. Yeah. Did you uh, ever see the documentary Sour Grapes? I saw it a while back. Yes. Yeah. And how the guy it. was making the fake wine, essentially. I haven't seen that one. I've seen, like, most wine docs there are. It's crazy. So, real briefly, this guy came on. So, there's a whole... Delicious. I don't want to say it's a counterfeit market. Yeah, it's a counterfeit. Thank you. Yeah. It's a counterfeit market. But he came on trying to be legitimate, like p- trying to pass these counterfeit wines off as real. And everyone was like, well, not everyone, but most people were like, these wines are amazing. This when is you say real, do you mean like this is a like a French vintage, wine from this? Like, right. It's yeah. like calling a good art forger talented. Right. Exactly. If they can fool you, then there's some inherent still yeah. there which is right? another great documentary by orson wells called f for fake but yeah so this guy came on and what brought him down was one of the buffett like warren buff no not um the coke coke brothers one of the coke brothers <laughs> is like coke. is it jimmy coke no it's like jimmy buffett and i was like oh, oh, jimmy sorry jim jim coke um <laughs> he is a wine collector and he gets all of his stuff like meticulously documented and scrutinized before he buys it. And they started seeing these fakes pop up and they're like, that's what brought him down. Coke brothers strike again. Right. <laughs> Taking people down one at a time. <laughs> I want to be next. What, um, trip. I'm interested to hear your tasting notes on this wine. Let me get some more yeah. real quick. And then hand Let's me the bottle. Thank you. So I can look at the label. So- Not- that's not why I'm asking you at all. Pass it to me. No, I just want to look at the label. Well, for the record, I'm convinced that most people have a great palate. Yeah. They just don't have the vocabulary. Um, to I think also people feel, like, limited. It. They think they have to say certain things when, like, if, you, if it tastes kind of like chalk, like, that's a legitimate tasting note. Certainly. Couch gave me a wine the other night, and the first thing he said was, it's got a real graphite smell to mm-hmm. it. And as soon as he said that, I just smelt mechanical pencils, those little leads, um, oh, yeah. graphite sticks that come in. It was so accurate. But I, and you're so sweet saying you think most people have a good palate. I think I'm one of the people that does not. Well, don't sell yourself short. You know, <clears throat> tasting wine in a group is always better because it's like listening to music in a group. Like if uh, your your friend says, oh, man, I didn't notice that part, and you didn't notice it until they said it. Right. Um, it just kind of enhances the enjoyment of it, and, you know, it's something to be thought upon. I'll say to me, sparkling wines have always been the hardest to, like, nail the taste notes on yeah. to me more than something still. Because <clears throat> I'm just like, ooh, bubbles. Mm. I'm like, I like to joke around on the podcast, but I want to take this seriously. <laughs> Yeah, this is educational. Tune right. out if you don't want to learn a and, million life lessons. And we'll take photos of all these bottles and post them um, so the people know. Well, I mean, <clears throat> this is Reventos, uh, which is one of the better makers of cava in Spain. And so you, I am experiencing the, the terroir and the soil it's grown upon. Yeah. So um, in this area, they're known for a loamy soil, which is a mixture of um, limestone, sand, and silt 
yeah. I believe. Um, and so I'm getting a lot of sandy things. Definitely like more mineral than anything fruit yeah. forward. Absolutely. The minerals yeah, it, are coming first. I was definitely going to say it's pretty earthy to me. A little um, herbal kind of herbal tasting almost. I would say maybe there's some subtle herbs, but yeah. um, I'm getting a lot of like yellow apple. Mm. Maybe a little pear. Subtle lemon rind, but that's kind of soft compared to. I'm getting that when little I think bit of ab- diesel. When I think about the sand, it does kind of. It smells like hot sand at the beach. Ooh. One of my favorite tasting notes I read in a book yeah. was like, "Wet horse saddle." Oh, we're getting. We've got one of those here later. So it was like, if you're into sweaty horse, then we've got the one for you. It's like you wouldn't think of it, but then you're like, you know what? Like, I can see that. Yeah. Mm. Enjoyable though, right? Delicious. Yeah. What could you not eat with this one? I hate I didn't bring some freaking cheese pairings. When I was in Chicago, I went to the best wine store and cheese store, and it was called a Beautiful Rind. And, you know, for every wine you bought, they had, like, little cheese pairings, and they were all, like, super, like, chic freaking cheeses. I bought, like, you know, a little wedge of something that wound up being, like, $60. I was like, "Eh," you know, like, sticker shock. And I was like, okay, go for it. But next time I asked Trip if I could bring anything, he said maybe some glasses. But you should have said cheese, Trip. Cheese to go with my wine. Sorry, I didn't think about it. That's my fault. (laughs) Um... So if you heard a door opening, a sexy lady has appeared. Our producer has uh, joined the podcast. And Cheers, Emily. No, yeah. Um, so she never comes to the podcast unless I asked her. And then I told her we were doing a wine tasting. She's like, "I can come to that. Yeah, I'll be down. I'll be down there." <laughs> Is she mic'd? No, not yet. Well. Full visual. She are you? She mic'd now. Now you're mic'd. Grab a mic, Emily. I know we have to talk about wine today, but yeah, I can't wait to talk about the free Britney movement with you because I heard some new updates on NPR. I need some updates. I haven't kept up with it. Just go to Saint Hoax's Instagram. It'll update you on everything. But yeah. okay, I next pod we're together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about the free. Brittany movement as we're, as we're drinking this wine because on the I'm, third bottle I think you might I mean couch you might have some opinions about it too certainly that's just what <laughs> it's all about yeah it's funny though couch because Tripp and I saw you so much this weekend like unplanned just two nights in a row went to Avenay and had a great time well, yeah, it was a great time. We had some amazing wines. And, um, yeah, it was uh, pretty fantastic. Well, it's I, always gl- nice to see you find folks enjoying some wine. Mm-hmm. What and, would you... Oh, sorry, I mean, cut you off. And one of the things I love most about Couch is his... We get each other's sense of humor, like, so much. And he tells the best jokes I've ever heard in my life. We won't say them now, but we might throw some out at the end. Do you think that's possible? Perhaps, if it feels natural. Yeah, it yeah. Feels- it, I don't want it to be forced. I want it to be organic and real, much like this wine. But, yeah. Hey, right. Couch, what should I be uh, 
What do you think would go good with this wine? Yeah. Go well. Well, you know, um, sparkling wine is one of the, especially champagne or a fine cava is this, one of the most fun things to pair foods with because it goes with such things as like potato chips and mm. popcorn and fried chicken. Those are my favorite. Like, those are my favorite In addition foods. to and caviar lobster. and, well, <laughs> you know, things this like that. This is the Bur- Birmingham Burnouts <laughs> podcast. We're not doing caviar down here. We're doing... Speak for yourself. We're... <laughs> We're doing Golden Flake, potato chips. That's right. Orville Redenbacher, microwave for, popcorn. For those of you out there who have never had McDonald's French fries and champagne. Oh, oh. Like pay two dollars for your French fries and then pay sixty bucks for your champagne. And then That's, you will be in heaven. Um, trust me. I love it. I bet the there's McDonald's in oh, Europe where you good. can totally <laughs> order champagne like you can wine and beer and that's a great experiment I'm going to embark on next time I make it overseas. Yeah. Ooh. Finding a McDonald's that serves champagne. Report back. Or sparkling wine. That's one thing that I was going to ask you, too, if you've ever traveled outside of the country for your work. I have not. Hmm. I would love to. Go to Burgundy first. Go for Just me. kidding. I know you're going to want to go to... Um, Germany and Austria yeah. first. But what, what's your bucket list Burgundy's of like sexy. vineyards or just regions or countries to go to for wine? Well, you know how we're talking about the more you drink wine, the more you become an acid freak. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, <laughs> the more you appreciate Spanish sherries from Southwest oh. Spain. Ooh. I love sherry. Which um, there's not a whole lot of wine going on down there, but they do have sherry. So I'd like to go there. Um, but it's just endless. I, I'm like, well, I think about this region. Oh, yeah, we got to go there, too, you know. And right. It's like next thing you know, I need probably 18 months to yeah. five years to do everything I want to do. <laughs> um, but as a history buff, Alsace, Germany would be huge. Champagne. Sexy um, place, too. <laughs> you know, get you a nice ham and cheese. Right. Ooh. And a... Uh, Alsace is so gorgeous. Paris is overrated. Go to freaking Alsace. I'm telling you. If you've ever seen House Moving Castle, the Studio Ghibli movie, that's based off, like, the setting is based off Alsace. So, it's gorgeous. So, is this wine enjoyable? Y'all like it? This is fantastic. amazing. I wish I had a nice, creamy... Semi semi soft cheese to go with it. And you're listen. You're also talking about around twenty bucks. No, I'm saying like twenty bucks. Twenty bucks. You're also talking around twenty bucks retail for this one. Retail or whole? You said retail. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I'm not a huge fan of champagne, but it kind of like comes off as a champagne at first, but then like ends up being more like a white wine. Yeah, it's softer on the back end to me. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. I like that. I've like to get kava a lot now because it's sexy and cheaper. So for you beer snobs out there, $20 a bottle divided by four to five glasses, you're, you're talking about about the same yeah. for on-premise craft beer, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes cheaper than yeah. some of the craft beers out there. Yeah, right. without the frat experience. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, bro. Not, only yeah, look. Only We're classy. We, we, we snake handle to play beer pong here, okay? <laughs> Have you ever played wine pong? 
I've not played. I have, but I don't remember how it ended. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But I have. Uh, Everybody loses. Everybody loses, right? (laughs) Perfect answer. Yeah. I mean, are you really winning if you're throwing ping pong balls into wine? Maybe. Likely not. Sounds pretty classy. Do we want to go back to the first wine we opened, or do we want to try a new one? Yeah, let's go. Let's, let's go, go on to that white. Okay, I can just get this a, a trip down memory lane. Do we, have, do we need a dump bucket? Um, no, not I'm me. not. Okay. <laughs> Wait, while we're on this, keep going, trip. On this note, uh, spit or swallow. What's your pref? It depends on how many. <laughs> Do you think you can truly uh, experience a wine without swallowing it, though? Let's be honest. Aren't there some things that are so back back in there, if you spit it out, you're really never going to understand? Because I feel like a swallow and how it feels. I like to do both, you know? Really? If Okay, so let's say I'm at a big tasting. Yeah. And I taste a wine, and I... It's important to spit if you're going to taste over 100 wines because eventually you won't be able to taste anything. But if I worst case or if best I taste case and I spit a wine of particular quality, I may sneak a little sip in there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but palate fatigue is a real thing, and um, having some discipline to your tasting is important if it's your job. Uh, but usually at these tastings, they have little cheeses off to the side and some things that can uh, help calm down that palate fatigue because your mouth does feel like it gets kind of worn out mm-hmm. uh, with tannins and acid and, you know, kind of like you just brush your teeth feeling sometimes. But um, it's important to do if you're serious and you want to keep tasting, you know. What's the most wines... Like you said, a hundred. Do people really taste a hundred wines in one day? Like what? To me, the backs I've ever done is like nine, and that felt like a ton. I mean, yeah, people do, and you know, the more familiar you become with styles and <clears throat> what to expect and how to tell if this is a high quality wine from its particular region, <clears throat> then there's people that can analyze, <clears throat> you know, fairly quickly. Um, and then you think of big wine critics around the world. I mean, they're doing that. They're tasting wines like that all the time um, to the point where they'll have to hire people because they have so much wine to taste. <laughs> so they have to hire people to taste for them. And How do I get Yeah, I'm like, job? where is that job <laughs> listing? I'm, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, you're doing it right now, bud. Yeah. <laughs> this is my, no this is my job paid. application for uh, that for that job. So uh, our next one is also from Spain, quotes. I'll put quotes there. It's from the Basque region, which exists in Germany, I mean, uh, France as well. Um, So these have become kind of hot in the past few years, these Chocolina wines. They're very refreshing and light. This one we're having is unique because Mm -hmm. it's not effervescent. And most of the wines, uh, Chocolinas are effervescent. So we're having maybe a more serious Chocolina. But... In general, the wine styles here are easy, light, um, uncomplex. They don't dote over them. There's a big afternoon Chocolina culture where they uh, will go to, people will go to little cafes, you know, three or four in the afternoon. Siesta. Have a few anchovies, you know, some little salty Salty. bar stuff and have a nice glass of light, low-alcohol Chocolina. It's kind of like having a beer. But the, the coolest thing 
to think about is how we were talking about world history being tied into and exemplified in winemaking styles. The Basque region has such a unique identity when it comes to the rest of Europe that their language, their language's origin is a mystery. Really? The smartest people in the world cannot figure out where their language came from. So these people have been isolated and had a kind of insular community structure and culture for thousands of years. And so there's their wines are not like anywhere else in the world for that cool. for that reason. I guess they kind of like hold their secrets tight and yeah. close. And you know, separatist movements there had been very real mm-hmm. and sometimes violent. <clears throat> um, you know, if anybody's familiar with Northern Ireland and the IRA, mm-hmm. a lot of these folks kept contacts with the uh separatists in the the Basque region so sort of like security (laughs) yeah or just collaborating on how to be more separate is that separatist (laughs) movement like the same as like the whole like Catalonia or like Spain thing or is that totally separate it's separate but it's not similar similar yeah get what you're saying this has something in it I cannot put my finger on it. You will. I, I, At 12 God, o'clock tonight when you're laying in bed. It's driving me crazy. Is it a peanut? Does it <laughs> smell like a peanut? You know, I have trouble tasting it's almost like an like olive. white wines more than I do red wines. I feel like I can kind of pick apart like flavors of red wine red wines more. I feel the uh-huh. total opposite. Yeah. Unless it's like a light red wine. like yeah. more, But once you get like cabby I'm just like pepper, 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 black pepper, black cherry, black pepper. Well, if you really want to get totally nerdy, you can separate white wines into citrus, uh, orchard fruit. This would be like apples, pears, stone stone fruit would be like peaches, peaches, apricots, or even cherry, and then tropical fruits. So. Banana, pineapple, papaya, mm-hmm. passion fruit, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm. And it doesn't mean that a wine should only have one category. Yeah. But if you're putting your blinders on, those are the ones to focus on. So, what do y'all think? Everybody's smelling. This is great content. Just listening to people smell wine. Do you know the <laughs> right way to smell wine? Or maybe there's no wrong way. But the way I was taught, you know how, like, you want to just like take a big whiff. I was always told to like sniff it like a dog, like <laughs> in that way. You're like, yeah, the way like a hound sniffs something is the way like every intake. It's like you're, I guess, kind of making a little bit of a reaction to like what's yeah. you know coming like evaporating off. Essentially, is that <laughs> is that true at all? Yeah, just like <laughs> that's what I was taught. Whatever but, works for you. Like, <laughs> do you take long sniffs or short sniffs? <coughs> well, or medium I sniffs. <laughs> I guess it just depends on the wine, you know. Maybe it's a really yeah, high alcohol wine, and you do sniff a little more slowly. But it is always fun to freak people out. You just bring that glass to your nose and just hit it with a hard. <laughs> Like you're oh, yeah. trying to snort it. That's the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Couch if you're real snip. hardcore, you get a straw. Couch did teach me when I'm trying when you're trying to clear your smell palate to sniff your shirt. Uh-huh. Oh. That will that'll 
wipe the slate clean so you can get a just smell your slate. So it's a nice refresher. Yep. They don't teach that in school. No, they don't. That's you got to know the man to learn that. Yeah. But that you have trick. to or use to unscented. Podcast, I guess. You have to use unscented detergent. I'm just kidding. It's also one of my most tried and true moves: picking up chicks. <laughs> Sniffing your shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> Or sniffing their shirt Right under your arms Either Especially Big, I'm just trying to clear My nose palate That's right like, Ma'am yeah. This isn't weird I Hold do this on. for a living Hold on Mine's not working Can I use yours Sorry I'm a I'm a professional <laughs> So back to the Yeah The note Sure um, It's still hard But it's like I, I get lemony Of course But then I also Kind of get like A bite to it Like you I get like when I eat a pear, like a, I don't know, like an after, a certain like after. Like a little bit of a bitter finish. Yeah. Uh huh. Definitely has a bitter. The, this one to me reminds me of a peanut. Elaborate. Like it just smells like a bag of peanuts some, to me. <laughs> Salted and roasted? Like raw peanuts. Raw peanut. I was going to say boiled. But a little bit roasted. Yeah. Yep. I guess that image just like kind of comes to your it's mind. It's kind of a subtle nuttiness, I guess, is what the more appropriate thing to say would mm-hmm. be. But sometimes you just latch on to something in your head and it helps you remember a line and that's totally fine. This is so weird, but I just keep thinking of like some kind of like olive when I yeah. taste it like a, like, I don't know. I think like the wine's not quite like as clean olive. feeling as the last one. It does have a certain oily kind of character. I love it, it though. This is this is like the style. This isn't the only style, but this is like something I would want to drink often. I like I like the whites, the dry whites. So, what does this make you want to eat? Mm. A salad, like a fresh greens, light vinaigrette salad. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like I want Sounds something good. a little. Some cherry tomatoes with it, maybe pickled onions. I'm going to be basic and be like, some chicken would be just delightful. Chicken would be good. I feel like I could have something not super spicy with it, but something with a little bit of kick top. Well, if you were in this region of the world, they would definitely have some olives. They would have some salty things. Um, Always cheese would make brined me. fish, mm-hmm. Ooh, oil yeah. packed Ooh. sardine, something oily fish. How good does that sound? That sounds so good. <laughs> no, that's like my boyfriend's snack of choice: is sardines on a saltine with a little hot sauce. Is he a hobo? <laughs> He's not, but he used to eat like one before I met him. Uh. <laughs> and I swear, every Christmas, my parents put give him like. Sardines, like stuff a stocking full of sardines. <laughs> My dad really likes sardines too. I'm not or into an- them. Or anchovies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I do cat- too. I like them too. And there's some really nice ones out there, um, available in the market around. for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, coming 2022. I was gonna make Caesar salad dressing this weekend, but I ended up just buying it on in a bottle. Dude, Bon Appetit has a great. Recipe. Yeah. Trip gave me Molly, what's her name? Baz. Molly Baz's book for my birthday. And she has like Caesar salad. She calls it sea salad. And it's, I was going to follow her recipe on making 
Caesar dressing, cause her anchovies. That's what I was. If you don't use like whole anchovies to grind, Mm -hmm. anchovy paste is honestly like a pretty good substitution. Making a paste with it anyway, so maybe I can skip step. Yeah, I mean that's what I've done in the past because I like can't, but yeah, a homemade Caesar is like. It seemed pretty easy. Glorious. Yeah. And I think her recipe is the one. It's like best of BA. That's her recipe. I think that she. Oh, my made. God. I think. Wow. I guess that's probably the one you I've know, always used. They, they, it got weird there the past year. And oh, yeah. Left. I've been using this recipe for like six years. I'm not. Or what year is it? 20. Uh, 2021. Last time I, I think. 2021. Shit. I can't do math, but at least since 2016, when I was in Italy, like yeah. one of the last days we had to like all cook something and then like have our like hosty families come to where we were staying and you know everyone's like oh i'm gonna make like pimento cheese i'm gonna do this and i was like i want to make like caesar salad like skewers essentially because they're like caesar salad is not like an italian thing and i made it i made like that homemade dressing from bon appetit you know on the skewer had like chicken like romaine crouton more romaine like and like little parmesan on the top they freaking loved it. Yeah. They were like, what is this? What's this dressing? We want more. I'm like, y'all, everyone thinks um, this comes from you guys. Guys, this is like one of your presidents. Like, this, this is named after one of your presidents. This and chicken Alfredo. Like, come on. These are your national dishes. Yeah. Every time I think of croutons, I think of Ladies Weekend at the Lake that one time. And <gasps> we were trying to make, we were trying to make, I think, like. I feel like, salad. yes. No, that is, we were going off that. I like, feel like we just kept burning the croutons. Like, because I feel like in the oven. we had a time for like four hours yeah. instead of four minutes. Yeah. That's some good content. Ooh, All right, sorry. moving on to the next one. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next one. Let's open this bottle. And we're back we're tasting <laughs> our third wine with burnouts. This is Matthew Couch, present as I can be. Um, it's a rose. Who doesn't like rose? Rose all day. Yeah. It's rose season, isn't it? So we're a good 10, 15 years into the rose craze, so to speak, oh, yeah. which was a trend and in some ways is, but well established in its popularity. Instagram celebrities have made millions off rose. Fouve Clicquot rose branding, man, they go nuts. Yeah, they do. It's pink. But it's pink. <laughs> Tell me why a rosé is different from a white Zinfandel. White Zinfandel is a rosé. It just has higher sugar. That's what I feel like all, like, our mom age, when they first, like, when I was like, Mom, you need to drink rosé, she was like, oh, honey, like, it's just terrible. Like, I know, because however, of white Zinfandel. <laughs> however terrible white Zin and Behringer Zin and... White Zen and all this stuff is it was extremely important to the American wine industry and its ripples are still felt today. Intrigued? I have goosebumps. <laughs> so, <laughs> a brief history of California winemaking pre-prohibition. Most of the plantings of California were Italian varietals. <gasps> yes. Now, a lot of them weren't the right things to plant. But that didn't matter. 
Prohibition happened. Vineyards went fallow. Everything. Um, and when it was lifted, people decided they were going to plant other grape varietals like Cabernet and, and Chardonnay, more French varietals, and they actually did better for the regions that they were planted in. Fast forward to the 1970s, where a lot of American growers were really interested in Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. It's a prolific grape. Um, it has high sugars as it ripens, so it can make a high alcohol wine. But people were wanting to rip it up to plant Cabernet. And Zinfandel was on its way out. So some of these makers said, well, instead of ripping it up and taking on this extra cost and waiting 10 years before the vines are viable, let's create a product. So it was a marketing thing of white Zinfandel. So instead of allowing the skins to stay in contact with the juice, as you would do for a white wine, they only let it happen for a short period of time or simply Mm -hmm. let it bleed off. They did find a niche in the American housewife, I guess you could say, <laughs> to a degree. So and what happened is the, the, the Zen Vendel vines remained. And today, these vines make some of the finest old vines in that is around. And it's because of white Zen. And nobody drinks it anymore. But I it's do. because it existed that we, st- we have great Zen. The first time I ever saw a boxed wine was in New Orleans. Franzia, and I remember yeah. just seeing like this pink color on it. I was probably like seven or eight, and now like that just created this like image in my head that Zinfandel is kids drinking boxed wine on you know the steps somewhere in New Orleans, and not the case so much. But that's like I think a bit of how public perception still is. Sure, there's great box wine out there. I'm sure that's not one of them, though. There's a great... Um, no, I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying, like, you know, that's... You know, people associate box wine being trash, and actually, it can be a way better way to keep wines fresh, as from what I understand. But there's this Spanish wine that you can get boxed that I've seen at stores and I've bought a few times, and it's pretty... Amazing. Yeah, La Nevera. Yes. Spanish for the fridge. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Very poetic. Uh, you want to hear about the wine that we're having now? This yeah. has got to be riveting to. for the listener yeah, as we're Taste drinking. You know us. what? We've never th- we've said this on the podcast, and I'll say it again. We're not doing it for them. This is for us. Okay. But this I'll is for my mom and dad. Emily's right, though. I feel like Zinfandel gets a bad rap, and you're kind of staking a case for it, which is interesting. I mean, I'm not staking a case for the merits of white Zin mm-hmm. for its drinkability, but for red Zin. what white Zin did to give us great red Zin today. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the best barbecue wines there is. And Rosé in White Zen is actually great with curry. Hmm. I've always, like, you know, like, Googled, like, well, what should I drink with this or what should I eat with this? And on many things I've accessed with, like, about, like, curries, Rosé across the board. Really? Rosé all day? I mean, and if you think about it, if you have something like a red meat (laughs) that's in a curry, you know... 
you might not think like, oh, white wine, but like if you drank a red with it, it would just be like not vibing with all that spice. So Mm -hmm. I can see it. Whenever at dinner, if we'd fight on which kind of wine to get white or red, Papa Coley would always uh, be like, let's just get rosé. Oh, so it didn't get heated like, you shut your mouth, you whore. Like, we're drinking red tonight. Oh, no. I mean, that's just like a normal night at the dinner table when my sister and I are both at the same place. But Got it. No, yeah. Like, shut the fuck up, kids. Yeah. Things have changed since I've gotten older. Now I tell my parents what to order. Mm. Yeah. They don't listen always, but I feel entitled to. Okay. So tell us about this. So this is from the land of Austria. The land of Schwarzenegger. Hitler. Mozart. Uh, yes. Yeah. So their wines generally have some restraint. The Von family. Some more mm. delicate qualities Salzburg. to them. Uh, this is surely no exception. The Goebbels Burger Estate, one of the oldest. I mean, this is a... Goebbels? 850-year-old eight, winemaking family. In the same place. And so this is one of those things we talk about with tradition where they're just ingrained. I mean, right. these, these folks have weather data going back five, six hundred years, like, wow. in their library. James Spann doesn't even have that. He has got Farmer's nothing on Almanac. it. Farmer's <clears> Almanac. <throat> so anyway, a, a great rosé. Shows a lot of minerality. There's three different grapes here. Uh, two of them, some identity have a lot of identity to Austria and one of them Pinot Noir is a little bit more well known but overall it's primary grape Zweigelt is going to bring some pepper to the party pepper to Ooh. the party you might bring Zweigelt white pepper white pepper mm. mm-hmm. there's a huge difference yeah Austria white only doing white You're making a quiche white pepper uh, Schloss Goebbelsberger mm-hmm. is the is the uh, estate the winery. Mm-hmm. Compared to Google the other Burger? wines, when I just snip this one, I'm getting floral. Yeah. More like airy. It's pretty aromatic. Smells than like anything tangy sure. or citrus or fruity. The really. red fruit maybe is secondary to. Oh, yeah. It's wine like you have gardenia or yes. like jasmine flower, maybe. Sweet pea. Like little bitty flowers. Mm, like that, yeah. Honeysuckle. Yeah. Yeah. To the young child waiting for the school bus in the country, circa 1998. You ever eat honeysuckle growing up? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the South, I you kind of got have to. It. Like we like, I will suckle some honeysuckle. Yeah. Remember, day. Trip, we used to do honeysuckle at Brick and Tin at the bar? We did. Yeah, we did. We made honeysuckle syrup. We did make honeysuckle from syrup. And we was delicious. We got too. the honeysuckles from the back alley. Really? Yeah. Climb up on a ladder, collect them all. Yeah. Put them in some warm, simple syrup. Mm-hmm. And a whiskey cocktail. You can go Love home and do it. this yourself. Mm-hmm. Put it in your sweet tea. Forget about the wine. Is honeysuckle just like a so southern good. United States kind of thing? I think it's so. Maybe. It's such a great flavor. I feel bad for everybody else. Cathead has that honeysuckle vodka that's really good. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll fucks with that. Yeah. Can I tell you just like how many people have told me that they thought rosé was red and white wine mixed? 
Have it you ever a, wanted to it's slap a bit anyone at the bar? What's that? Have you ever wanted to just slap someone for <laughs> asking something you stupid? Punched. You know, I uh, pride myself on being a patient individual, and you know, if they're being genuinely ignorant, then that's fun. Right. I'm sure there's a glass of wine that I could get them into. Well, you know. But sometimes I'm just like, hey man, you want the beer? Yeah. You want Bud Light? Don't right. you? Just give them a yeah. tan and. I just feel like I've gotten like a bias. Like I'm like so I'm not anti cab sav, but I'm getting that way the older I get. Because sometimes it's just so tanniny. I feel like I don't. It's like I'm not really experiencing wine, but experiencing like getting buzzed. Well, like we're talking about with innovation, there's a fantastic winemaker from the southern end of Napa named Mathiason. Love that name. Mathiason Winery. (laughs) Southern Napa, California. And his uh, cabs aren't like that. How can I get some of this? You can come down to Avenay on the north side or (laughs) go to any reputable retailer in town and get yourself a Mathiason cab. But people thought he was crazy for planting in southern Napa, that it wouldn't be warm enough. What's different about it? It just doesn't have the intense heat as the rest of the valley north of it does. But as the climate has been changing, Mm -hmm. climate change has reached the wine world, that's for sure. Well, no, I mean. (laughs) Come on now. Listen. We're not here for serious science. The world has been heating up and cooling off for decades. Yeah, the ice age. I hear you. Listen. My preacher told me about it, and he said is the is not real. So I believe him, Pastor Dalsh. Yeah, you, you know the guy. Yeah. You know him. It's just God is more angry at us, right, for sinning so much. Yeah, you know. Just, well, for some people it's hurt him, but for people like Matthias, and it's helped them. Well, <laughs> he's a sinner now because he took advantage of it. Okay. So. Let's get sloppy. All right, well, I retract it. Don't buy that one. Well, let's get back to Austria. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, can we... Austrian wines. Can we deck this part? <laughs> no, it's fine. Going into Austria. Austria's great. No correlation. Their wines are great. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and if you don't like sweet Rieslings, then maybe Austrian Riesling is for you. They tend to be less sweet. Huh. Yeah. I love, man, a dry Riesling changed my life how there were so many Rieslings that my parents had that I was afraid to open slash steal and take to my bestie's house because I thought they were sweet and then once I realized that certain ones were dry everything was fair game couch what do you have to say to the people who choose wines based off their label label design or what's label design yeah they see that label and they go, ooh, I like the, the way that's designed. Um, it would be hard for me to say I don't... It would be hard for me to not say I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, just because I get more excited about wine, you know? Yeah. We should talk about it together. Like, you go to a mm-hmm. store, you should go to one where somebody there can talk to you about it. Right, yeah. And I'm not talking about the guy stocking lettuces and tomatoes, but... What if it was like a Goodwill Hunt? Dude, we're going to remake Goodwill Hunting, but it's the guy who is stocking the lettuce and everything, who knows everything about wine. Oh, I love that idea. Who just can't get a job as a as yeah. a wine critic or anything. That's a good idea. He Maybe he's stocking apples. He's stocking apples, and he asks people, how do you like them apples? And they're like, they're okay, 
but they could be better. And he's like, oh, okay, well, can I help you pick a wine out? And like, yeah, well, you can do that. He arranges like the aisle displays at night to like yeah. put out the better wine. The better ones. The better wines at eye level. If a label has like a super like graphic design vibe, it's probably that's very contemporary or modern. I feel like it's usually they're kind of compensating for what's in the well, bottle. Not always. This, this is an area that I do have like some knowledge in. Graphic design queen right here. <laughs> a person who makes their living in it. And it's like, but I also have been getting more into wine as I've gotten older. And I, it, I know that, you know, labels that have more comp- complexities to them, like gold leaf, whatever, you know your, your dollars are going towards that label. So you have to kind of, you know, contemplate that, whether it, the wine might not be as good on a label that's more complex. But also, like, modern design labels I, I like, and I'm, like, drawn to them. I get why the wineries do mm-hmm. that. But I go towards old school wines a lot more, like French. And when I buy my wine, like as a graphic designer, even, I don't look at the label at all. I, and I mostly look at like the importer, like the importers that I know. That's a good way to go. I mean, flipping the bottle around is the best way to figure out if your imported wine is of quality when you come to know importers. And not that people with flashy labels have bad wine on the inside. I mean, right. there's a lot of great makers that are doing some lower tier stuff or some new, new programming and new marketing for something they're excited about. And that's totally cool. I would say the biggest cliche in the label world is what people have joked about over the years is if there is an animal on the label, mm-hmm. it's usually bad. Really? I had a wine that had There's animals. some exceptions, Delicious. but in general, it's a trend. Well, it's just like, Oh, that's a cute frog. Like you found yeah. the frog person, or Marketing. yeah, yeah. I want to say something, but like I don't want she to get mad at me. Okay. I can handle it. I've really so when I worked at bottles, I, I tried a lot of wines, and ones I really enjoyed were cabs that had been aged in whiskey barrels. Like there was one, um, girl and dragon. I can't remember. It was a it was a mal it was a malbec, I believe. But it had been aged in Pappy Van Winkle barrels. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that, like, really big, bold taste. Sure. Well, I think there's definitely a market for that. And it does serve its purpose because that's just bringing more people into the wine drinking community. Right. Right. So if you're a whiskey guy and mm-hmm. or a girl and you're drawn to that, hey, it's aged in a bourbon barrel. Maybe I'll like it. And you end up liking it. Well, eventually you're going to try something else. Yeah. And so although... I probably wouldn't be caught dead drinking one of those wines. <laughs> that hurt. But when okay. I first started drinking wine, I would. Yeah. <laughs> but it's bringing more people into the wine world, you know? I've just, yeah, I guess. That wine with the cat label was actually amazing. No one can hear you right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm being shown a picture of a, a wine with a cat on it that's apparently good. Now we're and just going to tell you all the it. shitty wine that we like that you're just well, like, stop talking. came from that. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to be a snob about it. No, I know. Counterpoint to this, you know, like designed, you know, new wavy 
label argument, you have Eric Wareheim with Lewis Harhess, and he gets like the most famous graphic designers to design his labels, and they're all like snazzy with the, you know, Dr. Steve Brule. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like this is made out of fruit, like with a glitter, yeah, sheen to it, and it's still. uh, But I obviously don't know a lot of what I'm talking about when it comes to wine, but I feel like I like his wine more because I know it's supporting him. Yeah, and he just a little tongue in cheek with his label design, but it's also cool labeling. Yeah. Um. I mean that's the that's the struggle in the market. Like if if nobody knows who you are mm-hmm. and you don't have the reputation, mm-hmm. then how's anybody going to know your wine's any good? And how do yeah. you get it to more people? And so a good label or mm-hmm. a contiguous design would be a way to establish your brand. Yeah. But ultimately, it matters what's in the bottle first, right? Oh, the juice first and foremost. And something like juice. y'all already are saying, what I was going to say is, you know, that label I just showed you with the cap. I was looking it up. That whole, that wine comes from this distributor that's goal is to bring underrepresented European wines to the American market. And they're doing, I guess, you know, American market labels. And so I guess by doing like eye-catching designs, they're getting kind of people like, ooh, you know, this like, you know, the tasting notes and the region sound interesting, but this bottle looks, you know, aesthetically pleasing as a gift and i guess that kind of like you know does get some people to like buy stuff that they might not normally and then you know they like it so you know yeah really nice you know regions and chateaus and vineyards in france like they don't need a snazzy label with a drunken cat on it to get (laughs) because people are already drinking their stuff but maybe you know yeah and they've had the same label for 800 years. Yeah, the older the label looks, I'm like, this is probably pretty freaking good. I guess that can go back to like the old school versus new school mentality too, where European markets are new or old school wines and California's new school. So the label kind of reflects that. Well, I mean, just look at the water market. I mean, there's all sorts of inventive things people do just to sell water. And it works. And it works. On me. No, just kidding. Yeah. I need the Alp, Alpine water. Well, I need another glass. Are we ready to move on to red? We are hey, ready. I, I feel like we haven't even... Have we even... I don't want to move to red yet. Red, white, red. You can keep sipping on that. It's fine. <sighs> this is so good. This rosé is amazing. Trip's going to post this bottle. I am, yeah. It's so good. Where can I buy this wine? You can buy it... Obviously, I'm sure from you. Can you can special order it from but our place. Can you ship to Alabama yet? Because I'm going to tell you, I dropped like 250 euros once in Italy to ship wine. Like at the end of a trip I was on, like with my birthday money, I was like, I'm going to send like wine to my house. And they did give me a free wine key corkscrew with it, but I never got the wine. And I'm really sad, but every time I use the corkscrew, I'm like, hey, this is a 250 euro corkscrew. <laughs> Can you, I know in October, I believe the law will go into effect, but you can't, you can only ship wine to a business address in Alabama still, correct? I know there were some laws 
that were recently passed. Yes. Um, but Kay hasn't signed them yet. There's some. It's going to October. Kay. I think she did <laughs> sign it, y'all. I just don't think it goes until October. I'm a little foggy on that. I know you can get wine shipped to the ABC store. Though. Yeah, if a business address is different. And for they'll sure. add. Two dollars in tax to the case, and you can go pick it up. But That's so many people were doing that. I think is one of the reasons the law got proposed is because those bureaucratic ABC workers, which are so hardworking, as we all know, every time we go in there, uh, got tired of <laughs> schlepping around dozens of cases from people that were getting it sent from California. They said you should just get this sent to your house so we don't have to deal with it. I didn't yeah. even think about shipping from California. I was just thinking, like, it's crazy the government actually listened to their employees, which is nuts. Did they? Where do you think that wine is now? Do, do you think it just got s- stopped in customs? What wine? The, the wine, wine I get? shipped from Italy that never could come to my house because yeah. of the law. Oh, that is that is where, working. Where that is. That is I'm guessing they never sent it. No, no, no. no. I no. think they did. I think it just got like oh, once it hit tied up in customs. Once it hit America, that is in a custom agent's. I think about it like all dining room right now every day. All right, so. We'll find it for you. We'll track it down. Yeah, let's do that. This podcast has reach, if I've learned anything. No, I- and we are going to track down... We're going to track down two things. The guys who punched me in the face and we're, First the and people foremost. who um, took your wine. Let's get the Reddit community on this and they'll solve the crime Yeah, like they did the Boston bombing. Oh, they did such a good job with that, too. I feel like I was so part of the Boston bombing scenario because I watched it live and then like stayed awake for like 40 hours watching like the manhunt. Oh, I thought you were like, oh, yeah, I had a lot to do with it. Um, I found the plans. Oh, I would joke, but <laughs> are you a, are you a groupie of what for the hot bombers? I would not say I'm a groupie, but I do feel like. The younger gentleman responsible who was not killed was not given appropriate representation in court. Fuck him. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I care that our country gives everybody rights in court so they can't say mm, that. Not if you're a terrorist. Fuck you. You're the worst. How of our Come terrorists on, are Trump. running our government? Listen, this is a very conservative podcast. <laughs> I, I think I established that. With my preacher talk earlier. Yes, pastor. Yeah. Um, pastor no, Dausch. Pastor Dausch. You know. But yeah, no, he can rot in hell. Um, this Who? one. Red. White. This is a red. Green. This is a red. Okay. So Rouge. right off the it's bat. It's a little cold. Very red. It's well, a yeah, little cold. Let me, hold on. So it, to me, right off the bat, it smells like a Flemish sour beer. <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Do you need to leave? So you're getting a little Brett to Donna Mycey's yes, in there? Yes, I am. I'm getting a lot of that. You're getting some barnyard funk. Well, that's Ooh. that's classic for this region. Yep. Barnyard wet barn. Kind of smells like a sweaty horse. Okay. Yes, exactly. Sweaty saddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this sounds like an old Amsterdam whorehouse. Um, no, it's, <gasps> it's like very... Like sour smelling. I haven't tasted it yet. Sour smelling, dark pith fruit. This smells just like a Flemish red sour. You like the Duchess de Bourgogne? Excuse me? Like the Duchess? Yes, like just like the Duchess. 
I would say that's fairly astute. You know, you need to give yourself more credit with your uh, palate there. Yeah. You said dark pit fruit. I'm like... Uh, This is from a village, a town called Vakara in the southern Rhone, which if you ever had a Cote de Rhone, that's the greater region. Great rosés. And a wine not so different from this was one of my like epiphany wines that I had when I first started drinking wine where I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I, uh, there's something more to this that's, you know, making me think, um, but it's classic with grilled roasted meats, ratatouilles. That sounds good. uh, I'm noticing that this, do you like it? I love it. This is a, Sorry, I'm noticing this vintage is much older than the other ones we've been drinking. Yeah. 2014. Kind of, mm-hmm. This is by far my favorite of the four we've tasted. <laughs> and not just because I like reds and I like Flemish sour beers, but I just feel... I We had a steak last night. I was like, oh, this would go perfect with it. This is, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful wine. I'm glad you like it, Tripp. Thank you. And we're sharing it. We're sharing it, it together. This is the only way to have wine is to share it with you. Thank you, Trap. Clutch move bringing a Topo Chico (laughs) to cleanse between. But, Couch, I I also liked sitting at the bar at Avenay on Friday and just, you know, you telling us, like, what to eat. I kind of bombarded you with tastes and... Sorry, what to drink. But, um, no, I loved that. That's the way to do it. Um, oh, yeah, I see and the smell you're talking. About. Yeah, you see it now. Um, I would just call that diesel. No, the to talk about having it for one sec. It, we had such a good time, such good service. The ambiance was incredible. The wines were incredible. It was truly a really great experience that I would recommend to anyone. And I'm not just like plugging it because you're on here and but it is i hope it stays around in birmingham for a long time because it is a very crucial thing i think we need because we haven't had anything like it we had the wine loft but i went there one time and was not a fan yeah their sign is scary well thank you trip it's uh we're open till midnight every day Mm -hmm. it's called avenue on Mm -hmm. second avenue north a-v-i-n-e we're near the very popular Second Avenue restaurants that you may know and love. El Barrio. El Barrio, right Bamboo, El Barrio. La Fresca. The list goes on. But we are the place where you want to come and try a, a glass of wine or a beer or a classic cocktail and maybe a craveable small plate. Mm. And if you find something you like, you can leave with the wine. It's a retail shop. How many Perfect. bottles by the... How many wines by the glass do you say you guys have? Because I feel like sometimes people only have like four by the glass and then like a million by the bottle. Not counting the dessert wines, we've got about 20. Oh, fabulous. By the glass. So there's something for everybody for sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, say you already had dinner, you're about to eat dinner, you can get a small plate with a very intentional pairing and can take you to that one plus one equals three land that we were talking about earlier. Love it. Mm Mm-hmm. I need to bust out of my fears and go there because I've only heard 
amazing things. <laughs> well, we're only open till midnight, seven days a week. So it may be kind of hard to get down there, but. To be honest, for me, it is. Cause sometimes I don't leave work till like 11, 15, but not forever. Just right now. Are y'all open on um, Sundays? The elusive Sunday? Sundays. Are you open Mondays. on Monday? You're open on Monday. Monday. All right. That is. That's it. A Birmingham unicorn. Yeah. Okay. Finding a place open on Monday. Y'all come. Do you work Mondays? No. Oh, okay. I'll come with you. I, I, come with me. He's here right now, <laughs> so we record on Monday. So he's well, definitely you know, maybe work. every other Monday. Who knows what day it is? When you work on Sundays, Mondays sometimes feels like a Thursday. Let's go right now. Let's go. Let's, I would absolutely love that. We'll, I send feel, this, well we have gone have like so over two hours. But Emily, let's what make you were, it to three. What you were saying by the glass, like we would just kind of we were on a red wine train. Mm-hmm. And so we told Couch that, and he just kind of like got us taste of like all the red wines that he was into. And I think we we had like four. <laughs> I absolutely love red, and always have. It's I mean, it's just you know, it's what's very classic to me. But medical moment, acid reflux, yes, red wine, sort of difficult. We got Tom's. Yeah, I'm sure you do. The strongest medicine, though. Don't worry. It's fine. No, I'm just saying I I hate that it's, like, made me not be more adventurous with reds now that I'm in a better place to be adventurous with wines. And I hate that. Well, maybe it's only some red wines, you know? Maybe it's not all. Yeah, definitely Pinot Noirs and, like, the lighter, like, thinner-skinned red grapes... Chianti can sometimes maybe just get really excited when I drink a Chianti. But yeah, it's delicious, but it's no rose to me. Well, I want to keep drinking wine with you, but this podcast has gone on for about an hour 30 at this point. It's usually a threshold. Do we have a heart out? We don't. I don't think we have a hard. Do out. we have a hard on? <laughs> out, hard out on, <clears throat> hard on out. Because I did want to ask you one question. Oh yeah. What do you think about the orange wine trend? So the orange run, wine trend is uh, pretty cool in a way, and um, a lot of amen. And so it's, it's kind of like a, a nice bridge to bring more people into the wine world, right? Mm-hmm. And so all it is is white grapes that have been pressed, but their skins allowed to stay in contact with the juice during fermentation, like a red wine would. So you get more depth, more, more complexity. Um, but some of the attributes of them can be very similar to sour beers. Mm, yeah. And yeah. so this is just more people coming in to try new wines and... Although trendy and there's some really bad orange wines out there with some really awesome labels, mm-hmm. some really awesome orange wines out there with some awesome labels mm-hmm. and maybe not so awesome, but it's all about discovering it. And we have a few of those wines at Avenue, but honestly, if you really want to explore orange wines, you should go to Golden Age yes. Mountain Brook because they are the ones They're that the have been plug. doing um, the most for that for our uh, wine culture in Birmingham mm-hmm. and um, they do a great job at it so they just yeah. had their 
was it their second anniversary last week? Yeah. yeah we'll say if you go to Golden Age for orange wine, ask them for the ones that the nuns make. <laughs> and they'll know what you're talking about. Highly recommend. We had one for my birthday. It was in a terracotta bottle. Oh, that's the... Metamorphica? Yeah, the that one. one. Yeah. The orange label. With the sunburst. Some high quality orange that's wine. Spanish, yeah. isn't my it? My friend Grace Lee, friend I think of it's the Spanish. pot, gave it to me for my birthday. Mm-hmm. So She's a good... Oh, wait, Grace. 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 Yeah. Hey, Grace. Um, and actually, plugging another great Birmingham establishment, uh, we were going to Helen. And we brought up yes. that, that bottle there, and we just paid the cork fee. And then we had that with our meal. They have an orange wine on their menu, though, I'm pretty sure. Yeah? I yeah, because last time I went, I was like, ooh, orange wine for my birthday. And, yeah, it's fun. Well, let me just say, Couch, this has been an amazing experience, as it always is with you drinking wine. But I feel like wine, I, I know you pretty well. We're, we've been neighbors. We've been coworkers. Wine is only a small fraction of you. We need to talk more about dad jokes. We need to talk about history. We need to talk about metal detecting. There's a lot of stuff we need to talk about. So we will have you back on the podcast, probably with Jesse. Sorry, Emily. <laughs> But you've been an amazing host. Thank you for coming on. I I really wanted, you know, someone who appreciated wine, so I thought to call you. You sent me a text. Well, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you always for including me, Trip, and I do appreciate this. I am so ecstatic to be in like around this wine talented mind. I'm gonna edit that out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you keep saying that you're making me so self-conscious no No, it's great because um yeah i mean it's either someone like nice like really like unapproachable outside of a restaurant talking to you about wine but rarely do i like get to you know sit down with somebody in like a casual setting who is so educated on not just wine but like wine that's not just you know from burgundy or you know Tuscany, like somebody who's like bringing in you, you, the wines you brought in, like are such a reflection of like your exploratory mindset with this. And it seems like that's been a big part of your journey. And I'm extremely grateful for you bringing these specific selections and including us and educating us. And it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Emily. And thank you, Tripp. Um, it's nice to share these with y'all. And I uh, can't wait to come back. Yeah, I'm interested I, to hear about the for people that appreciate metal detecting. It's dirt fishing. Dirt fishing, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like wine. Even if you don't catch anything, you still have fun. Two last things. I want to thank our producer for paying five hundred dollars to Couch for bringing <laughs> all of this. You're so sweet. You're an angel. Thank you. I mean, this was a once in a lifetime experience, you know, yeah. have a, a connoisseur come over to your house. And you know, $500 is such a small amount. Like, I think we could pay more. Like we can do 800 yes. probably. Yes. I think 800 is totally you fine. Know, like Something. a 200% you know, tip. Yeah. We have yeah. a GoFundMe. Totally yeah. Maybe go your listeners are yeah. so appreciative as well. Yeah. They can, you know, 
if you, you know, want to trip, drink more wine, yeah, go please. to GoFundMe slash Birmingham. Oh, yeah. This Burn is like House. a monthly segment now. Yeah. And if you want to see trip the wines wine we had today, then you can... Like Look and subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe. Smash that like Smash button. Smash that comment button. Smash that comment button. Mm-hmm. But before we leave, can you just tell us one one? Jo- I don't want to put you on the spot. Okay. But I I need I need one joke. Okay. Well, I've been accused of telling dad jokes because they're the best jokes. Let's be honest. But does anyone know when a joke becomes a dad joke? I don't. When you no. sire an heir. A joke becomes a dad joke when it's funny as a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on, tune in, burn out. Bye, everyone. Save Britney, free Britney.